Because faith comes through hearing the message of Christ, this sermon has been uploaded for you by Grace Unlimited, a ministry that functions out of Living Hope Church, Pretoria, South Africa. We want Jesus Christ to have first place in everything in our church. And we want to help you know and follow Jesus in all of life and to help others do the same. Find out more or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. going to get back to the book of Galatians. We are almost at the end here. There's probably just a few more messages left in the book of Galatians and our two almost two year journey through this wonderful book is going to come to an end. But for now, please turn to chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 and I want to start reading again in verse 16. But the emphasis for today will be on chapter 5 verse 26 up until chapter 6, verse 5. And so I encourage you, even as we walk through this passage again today, one of the best ways we learn and sit under the teaching of God's Word is by taking notes and trying to um, write down what stands out to us and what is key for us um, and how we can apply this truth as we discuss these things in our small groups during the week. But this is the Word of God. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each one have to bear his own load. I wonder if you've ever thought about the difference between being part of a team and doing something by yourself. 
Maybe you grew up like I did, being part of a, a sports team of some kind or some other team, and you remember and recognize some of the benefits of being part of that team. Being part of a team, you're learning each other's strengths and weaknesses. You are fighting for victory together. Sometimes when you're having an off day, not doing your best, others are stepping up to help out. When you fall, others are there to help you up. You are learning that it's not just about you and what you can do. That you actually need other people on the team. You are dependent on others and they are dependent on you. You have all these opportunities to build others up, digging deep in your heart together and, and, and dealing with losses together, dealing with victories, rejoicing in victories together. And as a result, there's this wonderful unity and this special bond between these team members. With individual sport, it's just about you and what you can do. It's up to you, basically. What we see in Scripture is that even before sin came into this world, God said that it's not good for man to be alone. And I'm not just talking about marriage. In other words, God has not created us to live in isolation. He made us part of a team. He made us to live in this wonderful relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Which means as we look at salvation, we see God did not save us so that we can live lives of isolation. He didn't save us and restore us so that we can, well, we can do this Christian life by ourselves. In other words, He didn't give His life for you so that we can live by ourselves and for ourselves. Rather, one of the beautiful realities of being a child of God is that you are part of this new big family. You are united to God by faith in Jesus Christ and indwelt by His Holy Spirit. And as a result, you are united to other brothers and sisters who have also placed their trust in the finished work of Christ. We also have the Spirit of God at work in them, which means God did not save us so that we can live in the Spirit alone. Because living in the Spirit is something we do together. And as we are coming now at the end of the book of Galatians, we have seen that we are in this war together. We are in this daily battle where we fight against the desires of our fallen flesh, which are in opposition to the desires of our new humanity in Christ. And in this war, Paul tells us that we need to walk by the Spirit. We need to keep in step with the Spirit as we remember what? As we remember that we belong to Jesus Christ. That our sinful flesh has been given this mighty death blow when it was crucified with Christ on the cross. In other words, the Christian is someone that can have this, this confident hope that they can change and become more like Jesus and display the fruit of His character because of what Christ has done and because of what He keeps doing in our lives. Because as you said a couple of weeks ago, 
Christ is not fighting a losing battle within you. And so as we've been talking about what it means to live in the Spirit, Paul now now helps us to get a bit more specific about what a Spirit-filled family looks like. What does a Spirit-filled family look like when where are they are in the spirit flesh war together? He told us last time that one of our responsibilities is to listen to our commanding officer, the Holy Spirit, if we are going to stay in line. If we're going to keep in step with His leading in our lives. And we talked about this picture of what it looks like for soldiers to march side by side, according to the instructions of the Spirit. But now Paul is going to help us see what a spiritful church does when people in fact stumble and fall around us. In other words, what are people who are filled with the Spirit of God supposed to do when their brothers and sisters are struggling around them? Because there are going to be people who stumble and fall. In this war, we are going to struggle. You are marching with your brothers and sisters in this narrow, difficult road. And as you are marching together, some are stumbling and falling next to you. So what do you do? Do you ignore them? Do you think that at least it's not me? So it's not really my problem? Do you avoid getting involved in helping them because it's going to be too messy or too hard? Paul is going to help us see today that the spiritual family is a community where we help each other get back up. Where we help to lighten the load of the burdens others are carrying. And where we are constantly evaluating our own hearts so that we avoid a, a prideful attitude in how we are helping others. Because what our text points out today is that people who are filled with the Spirit are people who care about each other. Should be pretty obvious, right? People who are filled with the Spirit of God are people who care about each other. It's a church family where everyone knows, I've got your back. And I know you have mine. We're in this together. We're a team. One of the first things I want to point out is there are certain attitudes and behaviors that are opposed to wanting to help other people who are struggling. You see that here in the end of chapter 5 and verse 26. We're continuing on where we left off last time. Let me read from verse 25 again. Because remember, Paul said, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. But now look at the negative instruction Paul then gives first when talking about keeping in step with the Spirit. He says, Let us not become conceited, verse 26, provoking one another, Envying one another. Paul wants the Galatians to see that people who are going to keep in step with the Spirit cannot become conceited. Which is basically saying, if you are going to stay in line and serve others, you can't be proud and arrogant. The word conceited here can be translated empty of glory or vainglorious. It's having a kind of emptiness inside of you that you are trying to fill with the recognition of other people. It's wanting people to tell you, you are awesome. 
Well done. And in this context, Paul is saying people who are filled with the Spirit are not seeking to fill that gap by what others do for them or what they do for others, or what people say about them. Because with that kind of longing, you can also have an art attitude that is provoking others and envying other people. A heart that says, I must compare myself to others, and if I don't like what I see, I'm going to fight with you about it. In other words, you are not keeping in step with the Spirit when you are full of pride, and you get irritated and frustrated with other people, and you become so envious of them that when they perhaps stumble and fall, you actually kind of find satisfaction in that. Those are the kind of hard attitudes that causes people to not want to help others. And so now here in chapter 6, Paul shows the opposite. He's going to show us what the Spirit-filled family looks like who has got each other's backs. What a Spirit-filled family does when others are struggling next to them. And firstly, Paul says, we restore each other. We restore each other. Galatians 6.1 We help those who have fallen next to us to get back up. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. What's the first word that Paul mentions here? It's brothers. Which again is this reminder to the Galatians that even though there's all this Jew-Gentile stuff going on in the church, that true believers of Jesus are family. We're family. And not only are we brothers and sisters in Christ, but we are family where sometimes some people get out of step and have fallen into sin. Because the reality of this fleshly war is that believers in the church are going to fall into sin. And that is why we must help each other back up. Specifically, Paul says, we are to restore one another. Now the word restore is used in other places in the Bible. For example, the same word is used in Matthew 4.21, where it talks about the, the mending of fishing nets which is actually a pretty cool picture because it's restoring or mending someone back to their original purpose in Christ. It's restoring someone to live and function according to who God made them to be in Christ. To be useful, like a fishing net. Because a fishing net with holes in it is not very useful for catching fish, is it? But in this one verse we see the the when, the who, and the how of the restoration process. All of this in the first verse of chapter 6. Because when do we need to restore others? Paul says, if anyone is caught in any transgression. The church is a family where we need to help restore other people who are caught up in sin. And the word caught here could be understood in a couple of ways. One could mean you're being caught in the moment. The person was seen committing the sin in the moment. But it could also mean that this person has stumbled and fallen into sin without it being this premeditated kind of thing. It's more like this sin has overtaken them by surprise. 
In other words, this person was basically failing to be on guard. Or they were maybe flirting with temptation and think they can handle that temptation, but they can't, and then they fall into sin. I don't know, maybe you've experienced this, but have you ever seen someone gotten sinfully angry and you end up being as sinfully angry as they are? One man explains and says, sometimes those in the family get caught in doing what is wrong. They are clearly guilty of transgression. The enemy sets the traps and sometimes those next to us fall into these traps. And when we see someone we love falling down, we can't just ignore them, right? What does James say? James 5.19, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. In the neighborhood where I live, we often get a message on the WhatsApp group that someone's dog is wandering around outside. Usually it's mine. And people scramble and work together to help people get their dogs back in the yard where they belong. In other words, people are very concerned when their pets go wandering off. But honestly, how much more should we care about people in the church who are wandering away from the truth? How much more should we help those who have fallen into sin and restore them back by helping them get back up and getting back in line? But who exactly should do this? Who should do this? Because, hey, we all struggle with sin, right? Look at verse 1 again, because Paul says, You who are spiritual. Now it's easy to read that and make a couple of wrong conclusions. Because the word spiritual can be misunderstood. In our day, the idea of being spiritual can mean a lot of things. Basically, it can mean whatever you want it to be. Those who are spiritual are those who have all this extra revelation from God. People have these spontaneous divine moments, even in the church. People can think that being spiritual is being able to recite memory verses and only listening to certain Christian music. I mean, others might read what Paul says here and think that it's only the pastors. The really serious Christians who are able to help others when they are caught in sin. But what is Paul actually saying? He's saying that those who are filled with the Spirit are the spiritual people who should help their brothers and sisters get back up. You see, the moment anyone receives Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, the Holy Spirit enters their heart, which makes them spiritual people. In other words, this is not only something a special class of people in the church do. This is something for the whole family. Those who are walking in the Spirit should be helping those who have fallen out of step with the Spirit. Now think about it. If you see someone walking around with their collarbone sticking out, are we just going to ignore it? Because that is what we often do with sin, right? We see this, 
this bone sticking out, but we don't want to say anything about it. We just want to ignore it and pretend it's not there. And instead of taking people back to the emergency room of grace, we treat them like outcasts. We even scolding them and talking behind their back about their sin. One commentator says it well. When Christians are caught in sin, they do not need isolation or amputation. They need restoration. Those who are walking in the Spirit next to them are the ones who are called to help them back up. Because it's not about me, but more importantly, it's about the Spirit of God working through me. Spirit-filled people in the church should have each other's backs. But how do you do that? How do you help someone when you have seen they have fallen? Well, Paul explains, you are you who are spiritual should restore how? In a spirit of gentleness. Paul says the way you help someone is doing it in a spirit of gentleness. So now this kind of makes sense, right? People who are filled with the Spirit of God should restore others with the fruit of gentleness. In other words, if sinners are to be restored gently, it will take a spiritual person to do it, because only a spiritual person has true gentleness. Because it's very easy to respond with anger. It's very easy to respond with a a judgmental, self-righteous attitude. But because we have the Spirit of God, we can help each other with gentleness. I mean, think about that collarbone that's sticking out. If you're going to help get that bone back in place, you must be what? Careful and gentle. I mean, this is the opposite of what we've seen now in verse 26 in chapter 5. Someone with a gentle spirit does not provoke others who have sinned, but treats that person with dignity and care. It's not thinking you are better than they are. And it's not finding joy in the fact that they have fallen. In fact, it's hard and sad for you to see people you love falling into sin. Makes me think of my brother-in-law again when his shoulder was dislocated. And because this happened before in his life, he knew what had to be done. So he was lying on the floor and he asked me to pull his arm to get his shoulder back in place. And it's a painful process, but it's a needed one. It's a needed one. It was a combination of being firm and gentle with him at the same time. Because the quicker you can get that shoulder back in place, the sooner the healing can begin. But if you're going to do that, you're going to have to be careful. Because Paul adds, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. This is a good reminder that in the process of helping someone up gently, you need to remember that you can also fall into this very sin if you are not careful. This is realizing that you too could be tempted and fail. It's like when you try to help someone who is sinfully slandering other people, 
Do not be overtaken of what is said in this sin that you join them in the slandering process. That you don't join them in gossiping behind people's back. To recognize that you too can be in the same position they are in if you're not careful. Again, think about the anger. Trying to help someone that is overcome by the sin of anger. We need to be careful that we don't become simply angry ourselves, shouting back at them. Because it's like someone that is caught in barbed wire. You must be careful in how you help them, otherwise you too might get caught in that wire. Because here's the temptation. The temptation is to think that this is something you won't ever struggle with. And before you know it, you are doing exactly the same thing. You are the one that needs restoration. And so we need a a gentle and a humble approach in helping to restore others. That's why Martin Luther says, Run unto him, and reaching out your hand, raise him up again. Comfort him with sweet words of truth, and embrace him with motherly arms. Is that how you are treating your brothers and sisters who have fallen? We can have confidence in the church that this can and will be done when we rely on the Spirit of God and the Spirit of gentleness to help us. Because not only do we need help in getting back up, Paul says that the Spirit-filled family that is keeping in step with the Spirit, we also lighten each other's load. We lighten each other's load. Galatians 6 verse 2. We help to carry each other's burdens. Paul writes, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. See, not only does helping someone up require effort, the same is true once people are back on their feet. Because the church family that has the Spirit of God working in them, requires broad shoulders. Because what this verse implies is that the people next to you in the church will have burdens. And they're going to need help with those burdens. Because they're heavy burdens. In one sense, it could be the burden of sin that you just help them with. But the term burden is also a broad word. It could mean that people are carrying around the, the, the burden of sorrow and sadness. Of failure when things don't go the way you anticipated. The burden of loneliness and, and sickness. The burden of a, a marriage relationship that is falling apart. The burden of children who are not walking with the Lord. The burden of having too much or not enough work. That it becomes overwhelming. And not only are these burdens a reality, but Paul makes clear is that we are not able to carry them by ourselves. If we are going to help to lighten the load of the burdens people are carrying, then we must know what burdens they are carrying. Which has at least two implications. One, We need to be involved in one another's lives so that we know what burdens people are actually struggling with. 
Two, we need to be willing to share our burdens with others and not just expect that people will know or get sad if no one helps you. Because part of the problem, the fleshly problems we have, is that in the same way people ignore sin that has overtaken others next to them, people in the church can also ignore burdens others are trying to carry by themselves. Why? Because we don't like to get uncomfortable. We think it's going to be too much heavy lifting. So we rather think someone else will do it. But Paul gives us the reason why we should seek to make every effort to help others carry some of the burdens they carry. He says, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now we know what Paul's already said in Galatians that when we are serving others in love, we are fulfilling the law. It's the law of love. Because spiritual people recognize they have room on their shoulders to help carry other people's burdens. Why? Because they have given their burdens to Jesus. Jesus carries the biggest burden we have, which is our sin and our guilt. And it's a burden that only He could bear. And I want you to stop and think about that. When Jesus was hanging on the cross for your sin, when He was hanging there alone, embracing isolation, embracing what it means to have your Father turn His face away, crying out those words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He did all of that for you. He embraced our sin and our guilt. He had to be alone so that you don't have to be alone anymore. So that you can continue to cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. 1 Peter 5 verse 7. And perhaps that is your biggest problem. You are trying to carry all your burdens by yourself. You don't want the help of others. And you don't want to help others. Because you have not given your burdens to Jesus. Psalm 55, 2, David writes, Cast your burden on the Lord and He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. You see, often the way God lightens our load is when we get some of our brothers and sisters in the church to help us carry our burdens. And even if you are discouraged in your life right now, perhaps it's because you are trying to carry it all by yourself. The spiritual church is to be a place where we are looking for ways we can help one another. Where we care for one another. Because then we fulfill the law of love. The kind of love that wants to inconvenience your own life so that the, for the purpose that you can help a brother and sister because they know you have got their back. Your love for them doesn't want to see them crushed under the, the weight of the burden they are carrying. And so you move quickly. As you see this weight that is pressing down upon their souls, you move quickly to act and help to lighten that burden. Think of Moses. 
in the Old Testament who left, who felt this weight of leadership. When he said in Numbers 11:14, I am not able to carry all this people alone. This burden is too heavy for me. And so what did God do? God appointed elders to help him care for the people of Israel. In 2 Corinthians 7, Paul says that he is weary and afflicted. Why? Because the weight of ministry has become overwhelmingly heavy for him. And so what did God do? He said, For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without, without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Because here's the reality. All of us need a Titus in our lives now and again. A brother or a sister who brings comfort to us physically and spiritually as they help to carry our burdens. Some do it through prayer. Others do it through a warm hug or a, or a warm meal. Others get more practical and watch your kids so that you can rest. Others are willing to drive around and get stuff for you because you have too much on your plate. Perhaps someone needs financial help. And the weight of that need is crushing them. How can we help? Someone needs medicine, which they cannot afford. So you get in your car and you make a plan to get to a pharmacy and you help them to get the medicine they need. A spiritual family says, I've got your back. I want to know your burdens. I want to help carry those burdens as best I can. Because Jesus is carrying mine. But if you're going to carry someone else's burdens, you also need the right view of yourself. Because a spiritual family that has each other's backs not only restore each other when they have fallen, but they also help to carry each other's burdens. And now thirdly, we consider others more important than ourselves. Seems biblical, right? Verse 3. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. See, the way we treat other people, whether it's restoring them or helping them carry their heavy burdens, is often dependent on how we think of ourselves. If you have a wrong view of yourself, or think you're above all this messy work of helping others, then guess what? You're not going to be looking for ways to do some of the heavy lifting. The reality is, needy people have a way of demanding our time and changing our schedules. And so, one of the ways we can help them is not to think that we are too busy to help someone else. We are too important to help someone else. So that's what we think, and we forget we are nothing, and we deceive ourselves. We forget that we are nothing, and we deceive ourselves. In other words, if you are so fascinated by yourself, or think that what you must do is so very important, that you can never help someone else, then maybe you are deceiving yourself. Because what if we had a different approach in the church? What if we served each other in such a way so that free, we free that person up 
so they can actually serve someone else. That's only going to be possible when we remember that we are nothing. Or as Paul says, if you think you are something, when you are nothing. Because Paul wants to get to the, the root attitude that hinders people from serving each other. People who are proud are usually judgmental, self-righteous, and unwilling to help others in practical ways. Ties back again to what we see in verse 5, chapter 5, verse 26, right? People who are conceited, vainglorious, and proud are consumed with themselves so that they have no clue what the needs are that are crushing their brothers and sisters right next to them. Which means again, church, if you are someone that is doing the Christian life in isolation, thinking that you can do the Christian life on your own and you don't want the help from other people, you don't want to help carry their burdens, then maybe you are full of pride. And how can I check if I'm proud in my relationship with others? How can I check if I'm being deceived? Well, verse 4. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. You see, instead of comparing yourself to other people, God says we need to test our own work. Check your own heart. We need to measure ourselves against God's standard. Paul said the same, same thing to the church in Rome. Romans 12, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to you, everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So what we're seeing here today is that we are responsible to care for one another. We are responsible to care for one another. But we are also responsible to evaluate our own lives. In other words, when we evaluate our lives according to God's standard, it helps us not to be deceived in thinking we have accomplished more than we think we have. But Paul says, if our self-evaluation shows that we are living in the Spirit and actually caring for others, then there's a kind of humble confidence or boasting that is found in how God is at work in you and through you. Because Paul says, and and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. In other words, when we look at our lives and consider others more important than ourselves, and that is the, the, the habit of our lives, then we are actually living in a way that we, that we are helping others up and carrying their burdens, then we praise God for the work He's doing in our lives. And we don't want the credit for ourselves. I think Paul was seeing a problem in the Galatian church where people were looking at how they were helping others and wanted to give themselves the credit. And so he's like, evaluate yourself. Because a true assessment of what is going on in your heart will reveal that God is the one that is at work here. Because what you do before God matters to Him. Each one of us will stand before God one day and will be evaluated for what we did now. I think that's why Paul adds verse 5 when he says, For each will have to bear his own load. 
which I think Paul is trying to say, each one of us is ultimately responsible for our own behavior. Which, if you look closely, it could almost sound like a bit of a contradiction. Because Paul just said we need to carry each other's burdens, but now he says we need to carry our own load as well. But one thing we notice is that the word used for bearing burdens and now bearing your own load is different. Load refers to something lighter. It's like carrying a backpack versus carrying something like five heavy suitcases. Which means we all have a load to carry that we are responsible for. Your load is carrying the responsibilities to what God has called you to right now. For which you will give account one day. Maybe it's a parent, employer, leader. Because God has given each one of us certain gifts and abilities, and we will have to give an account on how we use them faithfully before God. Because Paul also said to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And so we notice the balance of Paul's argument here. A spirit-filled family will be helping others up who are caught in sin. They will be aware of each other's burdens and seek to help carry those burdens in practical ways. And part of how that is possible is when you consider others more significant than yourselves, remembering that you have your own responsibilities before God. You have your own load to carry as well, for which you will give an account in the future. And so I want you to walk away here today and recognize we need each other. We need each other. This is a church family where the Spirit of God is at work in us and through us so that we can know we've got each other's backs. Some burdens in life are so heavy we cannot bear them alone. And we shouldn't. We shouldn't. We need help. Please don't go through life thinking you are alone. Because you're not. You are part of a team. You are part of a family. And together we help each other up. We carry each other's burdens. And we think of others more significant than ourselves. This is the example we see in Jesus. And as we all float our burdens on Him... We get the strength to help others with theirs. As we seek to fulfill the law of Christ, we keep the balance between what we can do and what we should do. Because that is what a spirit-filled family looks like. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that we are not alone. Even as we walk through this, battlefield of life we know some might fall down being overtaken by sin lord and i pray that this would be a church a family where we help each other back up and we do so gently humbly lovingly 
That this would be a church family where we are open with each other, letting each other into our lives, sharing the burdens that are weighing us down, looking for opportunities where we can carry one another's burdens. Remembering that you carry ours. That we have a right view of ourselves. Not becoming proud and conceited, thinking that we are more than we are. But as your word says, that we are nothing. And because we are nothing, we look to Christ. And we find our true identity in Him. Father, please, if there's anyone that is walking through this life alone, help them see personally that they need to turn to you. They need to turn to you and bring all their burdens to you. And they would recognize that they are not alone. They have brothers and sisters around them who want to help them. Please, may your spirit work in us and through us. As we help each other move forward in this life. We praise in Christ's name. Amen.